the Senate will return Monday and stay in session through Thursday, while the House will return Tuesday and stay in session through Friday. Last week on the House floor, the House came back to work on Tuesday and voted to pass three bills under suspension of the rules. On Wednesday, the House took up and passed H.R. 205, the Protecting and Securing Florida's Coastline Act of 2019, and H.R. 1941, the Coastal and Maritime Economies Protection Act. On Thursday, the House took up and passed H.R. 1146, the Arctic Cultural and Coastal Plain Protection Act, and then they were done. This week on the House floor, they'll return on Tuesday with the first vote set for 6.30 p.m. At that time, the House is scheduled to take up eight bills under suspension of the rules. The House may also consider a motion to go to conference and a Republican motion to instruct conferees on S-1790, the National Defense Authorization Act, for fiscal year 2020. On Wednesday, the House is scheduled to take up H.R. 1423, the Forced Arbitration Injustice Repeal Act, also known as the FAIR Act. Sometime on Wednesday or Thursday, the House will take up nine more bills under suspension of the rules. Also on Wednesday, the House is holding an opening in the schedule to consider some kind of appropriation bill. I doubt it will be the minibus that we anticipate coming over from the Senate because I doubt that bill will be complete and voted on by then, but who knows for sure. Last week on the Senate floor, the Senate returned to work on Monday and voted to invoke cloture on the nomination of Kelly Craft to serve as representative of the United States to the sessions of the General Assembly of the United Nations during her tenure of service as representative of the United States of America to the United Nations. On Tuesday, the Senate voted to confirm her to that position. Then, during the rest of the week, the Senate voted to confirm the following people to the following positions. Elizabeth Darling to be Commissioner on Children, Youth, and Families at the Department of Health and Human Services. Stephen Eckhardt to be Director of the Office of Foreign Missions with the rank of Ambassador. Dale Cabanis to be Director of the Office of Personnel Management. James Byrne to be Deputy Secretary of Veterans Affairs. Michelle Bowman to be a member of the Board of Governors of the Federal Reserve System. Thomas Peter Fetto to be Assistant Secretary of the Treasury for Investment Security. Stephanie L. Haynes to be a U.S. District Judge for the Western District of Pennsylvania. Ada E. Brown to be a U.S. District Judge for the Northern District of Texas. Stephen D. Grimberg to be U.S. District Judge for the Northern District of Georgia. And Stephen C. Seeger to be U.S. District Judge for the Northern District of Illinois. Just for the record, during that series of judicial confirmations, the Senate voted to confirm President Trump's 150th judicial nominee. This week on the Senate floor, the Senate uh, last week, the Senate voted to invoke cloture on the nomination of Jennifer D. Nordquist to be United States Executive Director of the International Bank for Reconstruction and Development. So that nomination is now awaiting a confirmation vote. In addition, Majority Leader McConnell had slated for cloture votes the nominations of Mary S. McElroy to be U.S. District Judge for the District of Rhode Island and Stephanie A. Gallagher to be U.S. District Judge for the District of Maryland. Further, the majority leader indicated last week that he hopes to be able to bring to the floor this week a minibus appropriation bill combining the appropriations bills for the Departments of Defense, Health and Human Services, Labor, Education, Foreign Operations, and Energy and Water Development. That bill would fund about 70% of government spending to the border security immigration front. On Wednesday evening of last week, the Supreme Court handed the Trump administration a major legal victory, giving the administration permission to proceed with a new policy blocking asylum for migrants who pass through another country on their way to the United States. The court's ruling overturning a ruling from the Ninth Circuit allows the administration to put the policy into effect while its legality is being challenged in the court system. Interestingly, seven of the nine justices agreed on the case, leaving only Justices Sotomayor and Ginsburg in the minority.
On the Freedom Caucus front, the House Freedom Caucus voted to elect Andy Biggs of Arizona as its new chairman, replacing North Carolina's Mark Meadows, who will remain on the board of the Freedom Caucus. Now to gun control. We still do not know for sure where President Trump will come down on gun control, but the latest indication is that we'll be happy. On Thursday evening, speaking in Baltimore to the House Republican Conference at its annual retreat, President Trump said, quote, Democrats want to confiscate guns from law-abiding Americans. Republicans will always uphold the fundamental right to keep and bear arms, end quote. And he received a standing ovation. Meanwhile, at almost exactly the same time, halfway across the country in Houston at the Democratic presidential debate, former Congressman Beto O'Rourke backed up President Trump, saying that he supported a mandatory federal buyback of military-style firearms when he declared, quote, Hell yes, we're going to take your AR-15, your AK-47, end quote, which proves President Trump's point. Democrats want to take away guns. The importance of former Congressman O'Rourke's declaration cannot be underestimated. It was highly significant. Now, the gun grabber's agenda is clear. It is to grab the guns. The AR-15 is the most popular firearm in the United States, and the former congressman says he's coming after them which means those who oppose universal background check legislation for fear it will create a registry are now on solid ground rhetorically. Meanwhile, the Senate is still waiting for final direction from the White House, and Leader McConnell is holding to his position of not putting anything on the floor of the Senate that the president has not said he would sign. Meanwhile, House Democrats aren't waiting around. The House Judiciary Committee met for a markup session on Tuesday and passed three bills. A bill offering federal grants as an inducement to states to pass their own so-called red flag laws. A bill that would limit gun rights of people who have been convicted of misdemeanor hate crimes. And a ban on large capacity magazines. Not to be left out, 145 of the nation's top CEOs sent a letter to Senate leaders on Thursday urging passage of the universal background check legislation and red flag law already introduced in the House of Representatives. Quote, Doing nothing about America's gun violence crisis is simply unacceptable, and it is time to stand with the American people on gun safety, end quote, says the letter, which was signed by the CEOs of Levi Strauss, Twitter, Airbnb, The Gap, Lyft, and Uber, among others. Missing from the list? Apple, Facebook, Google, J.P. Morgan Chase, and Wells Fargo. To the impeachment front, on Thursday, the House Judiciary Committee passed a resolution detailing the parameters for its impeachment investigation into President Trump. By a party-line vote of 24 to 17, the committee passed the resolution. Said Chairman Jerry Nadler, quote, Some call this process an impeachment inquiry. Some call it an impeachment investigation. There is no legal difference between these terms, and I no longer care to argue about the nomenclature, end quote. Speaker Pelosi doesn't care, doesn't care to argue about the nomenclature either, as long as you don't call it impeachment, because that is a word she clearly does not want to use. At her weekly press briefing on Thursday, she refused to use the word, even as she insisted that she supports, quote, what is happening in the Judiciary Committee, because that enables them to do their process of interrogation and investigation, end quote. Democrats are caught between a rock and a hard place here. Nadler and his pro-impeachment cronies are responding to the left-wing Democrat base, which wants President Trump impeached yesterday. Pelosi is worried about her majority makers, three-quarters of whom are now representing districts carried by President Trump in 2016. 
She knows that the only way House Democrats can pass an impeachment resolution on the House floor would be to do so with the votes of the majority of the majority makers, and that would put them at risk. So she is still doing everything she can to assuage the base while protecting her Trump district representing majority makers from having to actually vote on the matter. To the Russia hoax, on Thursday, it was revealed that U.S. Attorney for the District of Columbia, Jesse Liu, has recommended indicting former FBI Deputy Director Andrew McCabe as the DOJ has rejected a last-minute appeal from his lawyers. The potential charges relate to DOJ Inspector General Michael Horowitz's finding that McCabe demonstrated what Horowitz called a lack of candor regarding an investigation of an FBI leak about its ongoing investigation into the Clinton Foundation. On Friday, Inspector General Horowitz informed key congressional committees that he has completed his investigation of potential FISA abuses at DOJ and the FBI and has submitted a draft report to the Attorney General. He is now in the process of preparing a final draft. Quote, we have now begun the process of finalizing our report by providing a draft of our actual findings to the department and the FBI for classification determination and marking, end quote, he wrote in a September 13 letter. In his letter, Horowitz said his team had reviewed more than 1 million records and had conducted more than 100 interviews. On the spending front, the clock is still ticking. We're now less than three weeks away from a hard deadline on government funding, and we still haven't seen a minibus appropriations bill or a continuing resolution, but we're getting there soon. On the Supreme Court front, on Saturday, the New York Times ran an excerpt from a new book by two of its reporters who covered the Brett Kavanaugh confirmation battle. In their excerpt, they suggest that the story of Deborah Ramirez, who claimed that at a party at Yale University in the mid-1980s, Kavanaugh had dropped his trousers and thrust himself in her face, but who could not find fellow students to corroborate her story, should be given more credence. They also reported a new allegation against Kavanaugh from his time at Yale. They wrote, quote, we also uncovered a previously unreported story about Mr. Kavanaugh in his freshman year that echoes Ms. Ramirez's allegation. A classmate, Max Steyer, saw Mr. Kavanaugh with his pants down at a different drunken dorm party where friends pushed his penis into the hand of a female student. Mr. Steyer, who runs a nonprofit organization in Washington, notified senators and the FBI about this account. But the FBI did not investigate, and Mr. Steyer has declined to discuss it publicly, end quote. Well, aside from the logistical questions that arise to it, just how exactly would friends push his penis into the hands of a female student, there's a more glaring problem with the new allegation. There is no mention of a victim's name. What we are told in the New York Times piece is that Mr. Steyer remembers the incident and says he reported it to senators and the FBI, and that's that. But the book itself, which comes out Tuesday, but which Molly Hemingway was able to procure, adds that detail. Wrote Hemingway on Twitter, quote, the book notes quietly that the woman Max Steyer named as having been supposedly victimized by Kavanaugh and friends denies any member, any memory of the alleged event. End quote. Oh, and by the way, Max Steyer worked closely with Bill Clinton's lawyer, David Kendall, during the Clinton impeachment proceedings. So there's that. It sure looks to me like this is nothing more than another hit job on Brett Kavanaugh. 
But that won't keep the Democrats from jumping on it. Two of the Democrats' 2020 candidates for president, Kamala Harris and Joaquin Castro, have wasted no time and have already called for Kavanaugh to be impeached. Finally, on the staffing front, on Tuesday morning last week, President Trump tweeted the news that he had fired his third national security advisor, John Bolton. Bolton responded by tweeting back, declaring that he had offered to resign the previous evening, but that the president had said they would talk the next day. Whether it was a firing or a resignation is, frankly, irrelevant. What's important is that Bolton is gone, and President Trump is now looking to hire his fourth national security advisor in less than three years. And that's our Washington Report for this week.